Hello, and welcome to the Last Alliance podcast, the University of Alberta Tolkien Society book study for the fall term of 2014. Join us this semester as we read and discuss The Hobbit together. Hope you enjoy it. Okay. We are going to get started. As you will notice, Rick is not here, so Lucas and I will be Rick today. Oh, so that hurts. That hurts. Okay. okay, we have a couple of announcements before we do the challenge, and that is this Friday we have another games night. For those of you who came to last month's games night, it will be the same format. Uh, bring your board games. It's in this room from... Six to ten. Six to ten. Five to ten. I think it's six to ten. I'm gonna ask Bruna and put it out in the email today. Because I, <laughs> I don't have an events coordinator here to ask. Probably six. That sounds right. That's what I feel like if we show up. Yeah. Yeah. The room. The room's booked at a time, and they'll be here till ten. Uh, bring five dollars <laughs> if you want to order pizza. What? Games night on Friday. Oh. <laughs> uh, and then on the twenty-first, we have our Men party. For those of you who've been around for more than just this term, you'll know what the format is. For those of you who are new, at the end of every term we get together, we let people dress up. We have performance night, so basically you email me what your presentations are going to be. We have just a night where everyone can bring their sub-creation. Uh, most things by by Tolkien, but you know we accept any form of sub-creation. So we have people who play piano, people who write songs, uh, dramatic readings of original works or Tolkien's works. Uh, we have people bring their Warhammer stuff in. So. Basically, whatever you can think of that you'd like to present and share with people is totally cool. Uh, just send me an email and tell me what you're doing so I can add you to the print program. And there will be a piano available for those of you who need the piano. So you should definitely play it because we do pay money to rent this, so it's nice if we have more than two people playing. Or any people, because last time I rented it, nobody had a piano submission, which you realized after. I had another announcement today. On different days oh, week. next week, Monday is a holiday. Yes. Book study is going to be on Wednesday. Well, you know what? If you want to come here from 12 to 12, I'll run for you <laughs> by myself. Everyone else is going to So, hang on, it's on Wednesday, or are we taking a week off? No, it's on Wednesday. It's like the Thanksgiving weekend. Okay. I don't know what the chapters are, but I'll look them up for the end of the hour. Probably. And yeah, it's this Thursday, 11.30 to 1.30. NaNoWriMo is officially uh, underway. I'm keeping steady about 2,000 words per day, which is breakneck speed for me. I'm usually much more of a procrastinator. So if you would like emotional support or just like to get together, um, just come to Inklings and uh, just out of curiosity, is anyone else participating? Or? Bueller? Bueller? Are there people not in the club that are participating? Can I send them your way? Sure, I can take sure. people. I think that's all for announcements. Uh, do we have any challenge entries for today? It was to rewrite a scene from the chapters in the point of view of a different character in the chapters. That's an awesome idea for one, but I ran out of time. Do it for the jury <laughs> style. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if anyone has submissions that are late or like totally different, submit them for the journal. We'd love to include them. I'll start bugging you about that later in the year. <laughs> If we have no submissions, then we will just start our round table. Uh, this half we're going to discuss Bales of a Bond. So do you want us to do round table? Two? Get off. I'm sending you. Okay. Do you want us to do two round tables? Do like Bales of a Bond and then do. Can we do one of them? Yeah. Sure. Okay. So this hour we're just going to discuss Bales of a Bond since we had two chapters for the week. 
Do I have any pressing anything they'd like to start with? Okay, Lucas, you're going to start and we're going to go clockwise. Okay. <laughs> 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 he looks down. <laughs> I have hey, a point hey. to make. It's okay. Um, I really enjoy the bit where the elves are like wasted drunk and that's how they get out. That's like the least dignified thing I think any elf in all of Tolkien's writing have done. And that includes everything that goes on in the Silmarillion. Which is uh, I'm Dan, and my favorite part was, what was my favorite part? That Bilbo felt trapped living the life of a burglar, invisible in the wood elves hall. Mm-hmm. I'm Angelina, and I didn't get around to reading this week. <coughs> I'm Sarah Lynn, and I also didn't read it this week. <laughs> um, I'm Daniel, and I think similar to Dan, I really like how quickly Bilbo became a burglar and proved Gandalf was right, he's an excellent burglar. I'm Taryn. I like how, um, despite Bilbo's wish that there was a handy wizard to get him out of this predicament, he is able. He comes to like this realization that he has to rescue everybody himself if anyone's going to get rescued. So I like that moment. Um, I'm Shelby, and I think because honestly, I hate the whole Mirkwood scene. That's like my least favorite part of the whole book. Um, but it's. My favorite part, probably from this chapter, was the elves getting drunk part. But <laughs> I'm Greg, and I will demonstrate my originality by saying the sloppy drunk elves are my favorite part. Jordan, I'll pass. I'm reading that the insight we get into how the elves work and in the Hobbit world. I'm Jessica, and uh, there's just a part at the end of the chapter that said uh, they had escaped the dungeons of the king and they were through the wood, but whether alive or dead still remains to be seen. And I just thought for a second, uh, so at this point in time, the dwarves are both alive and dead because we're just... Huh. <laughs> <laughs> Shrugging I'm Nick. I was otherwise engaged, so, so I didn't get to the chapters. Kyle, my favorite part was probably just the image that they, uh, he depicted of Bilbo on the ferry, kind of rolling around the wall. My fat belly foaming. I'm Josh. I think my favorite part of this chapter was the idea of how the Elven King's Hall was constructed, just with the very, very defensible, buried under a mountain. Uh, I'm Corinne, and I was going to say the drunk dwarf, the drunk elves, but you know, that's over. I like where Bilbo has this oh crap moment where he realizes I didn't plan at all how I was going to get out the barrel. Uh, I'm Ben, and that part is also my favorite part, but I just like the fact, like, the narrator says, most likely you saw it some time ago and have been laughing at him. It's like, <laughs> we're, we're all laughing at Bilbo. <laughs> I'm Kelsey. And I'm just reading here the description of the Elven King talking about his crown of berries and red leaves because it's autumn. But then it mentions in spring he wears a crown of woodland flowers. And I'm like, who knows? Is this Bilbo knowing this? Or is this the narrator telling us something that just for the sake of saying it? Uh, I'm Kara, and my favorite part of this chapter is probably actually the narrator. 
because uh, you get a lot of lines in here like they were coming at, at last to the great adventure so we must hurry on he just like skips a section because he's like this is getting good guys let's just <laughs> <laughs> and then at the end at the line that Jess read was the part about how whether alive or dead still remains to be seen but it already talks about how they're going to their great adventure so he's kind of starting to like contradict himself but I bet, I bet if you were a kid you'd miss that part so you have to Mm -hmm. I do have a note today. <laughs> do you have chorus as well? Um, so a lot of people mention the elves. So we are going to start with the elves as they play a big role in this chapter. Uh, but before we do any deep nitpicking of them, any general comments, general impressions you got about the elves? Nick, these ones really like to have a good time. <laughs> this is true. I was like party. <laughs> I, I remember when Josh was talking uh, about a point I wanted to make that Elf King's Woodland Hall reminds me a lot of Menegroth mm. and Orion mm -hmm. when they were talking about the many halls yeah. and his is one of the only other Elven Kingdoms that's sort of built into a hill. I thought that was cool. For those of you coming next term to the Silmarillion, <laughs> you will know what that means if you haven't read it already. <laughs> Impressions of the elves? What do you make of the elves so far in this chapter? More dangerous and less wise. Yes. <laughs> um, I thought the Elven King was sort of like quick to jump to throw him in prison from the time they get there. It was like, what, 30 seconds of talking? Throw him in prison. <laughs> it seemed a little rash for an elf. Well, they are intruders then. <clears throat> and he's lawful good. <laughs> <laughs> Greg has already said, more, what is it, more dangerous yes. and less wise? They're, they're more strict, and, and it seems like they know less, whereas the elves of Rivendell seem to know a little bit of everything, or have a hint at. Mm -hmm. So they're point. sort of buried in their woods. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> uh, the elf king, apparently, is one of the only elves kind of obsessed with gold. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's a good point. Compared to other elves. Which, which seems a little bit odd that they'd be so obsessed with gold. It's like the crown is made out of like <coughs> berries and leaves. Mm -hmm. The throne is a tree. Yeah, the throne is a tree. The, the castle is built into a, into a hill or a mountain. Mm -hmm. They're very natural. Yeah. So I just went back and I was looking at the like, description of Rivendell, and right when they get there, it says, So at last they came to the last homely house and found its doors flung wide. So it's kind of like yeah. Rivendell was like an open place, and then. In this chapter, it said that no one can escape my doors once they're closed. Mm. So it's more like it's closed off. It's more a prison than, well, the holy house. I really like that point. Or a fortress. Or a fortress, yeah. <coughs> Is there anything else we didn't mention? I think it's kind of funny. The, uh, from we remember Legolas in Lord of the Rings, how he doesn't like going underground and such, and we've always thought that. Mm -hmm. But as we know, he comes from Markwood, so it's kind of odd that his home was built into a hill or mountain, and yet he has issues with mountains later on. I think it's described as very well lit, though. And yeah, and also arid. it talks about not being as deep. Yeah. Because they do compare them to another race that we have met. Uh, Corinne, do you have a point before I move on? Well, uh, <coughs> I was just talking, thinking about the differences in the about how insanely mistrustful the the woodland 
um, the Woodland King is, and you read back on Rivendell talking about how no evil comes there. You know, and it's um, it's still on the edge of the wild. It's still a dangerous place. It's surrounded by, uh, but it's big. It's open. It's beautiful. It welcomes everyone. And then Mirkwood is this dead, this dark, shut off place. That it, 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 I just get like more of a furtive image of the elves going about in Mirkwood rather than the the elves in Rivendell that like sing in the trees and yeah. bother visitors, make them stop to eat. And you have to come and stay. Yeah. <laughs> but these elves sing too. Like they have, and they have a couple songs that are kind of silly, or they have at least one song that's somewhat silly. That I don't know what page it's on. The barrel song with the barrel. Like, roll, yeah. Roll, roll, roll. The short, the short little one first. We're gonna first drinking after before they sang that song. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't know, I bet the Rivendell elves are drinking too, though. Yeah. Well, they were partying in the woods. Yeah. Does someone want to read the short song if I sing? Yes. I guess you're uh... I, I don't oh, just that one stanza there? Yeah, just the little one. Roll, 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 rolling down the hole. He, foes, flash, bumps, down they go, down they bump. <coughs> what does this song remind you guys of? It's almost like industry room. Mm-hmm. I'm getting a little vibe of the whole, like, sing Among the Dwarves are singing in chapter one about how they're going to destroy all of Bilbo's cookware. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Another of, song that we could get. I thought of the goblins mm-hmm. with Crack Smash. Very, a lot of words. Yeah. Very simple, very one syllabic. He holds the flash Yeah, also a lot of um, kind of like onomatopoeic sounds. Mm-hmm. So you get like the crashing and whatever, and then Goblin Song. This one is like all the splashing and the bumping and whatever else is going on in this random song. Yeah. It's very simple. It's about what they're doing. It's not predictive. It's not about their history. It's very much, it's, it's a working song, right? It is, it's exactly what they're doing at the time. No like nuances to it. It's kind of like the Goblin song. And I did want to compare the elves, these elves, and the goblins we've met so far. Because they have some similarities, but they're also very different in a lot of ways, which we would hope of elves and goblins. There's, there's one line where it's specifically mentioned uh, a similarity and a difference between the elves and the goblins. Did you have that left? Well, I have it in my head. I have no oh. idea where it is in the text. Is it in this chapter or in an earlier chapter? Is it on this chapter? It's on this chapter. It is. There's a lot of comparisons between uh, the Mercadels and the Goblins in uh, like a chapter before this as well. I think it's when they are taking the oh. dwarfs down and talk about being underground. Well, they made it sound like you found it. Yes. Oh, you did? Inside the passages were lit with red torchlight, and the elf guards sang as they marched along the twisting, crossing, and echoing paths. These were not like those of the goblin cities. They were smaller, less deep underground, and filled with cleaner air. Yes. So they also live underground, as the goblins do, but they clearly have much nicer, maybe hobbitier passages. <laughs> they are well lit. They are relatively comfortable. Their song. It did state most of the elves lived in the forest. 
but they could retreat to the, the fortress in times of war. Mm -hmm. And even when they party, it talks about them partying in the forest, but also up in the Great Hall, because you know, King can't leave. <laughs> so what other differences do you see? Oh, sorry, Ben. Well, uh, this isn't really a difference, but for similarities, mm -hmm. both the Great Goblin and the Elf King, when they meet the dwarves, they're like, okay, these dwarves are bad, but the Great Goblin wants to kill them, mm -hmm. whereas the, uh, well, I guess it is kind of just take them away to dark holes full of snakes and never, never let them see the light again. And the Elf King's like, take them to prison, but give them food. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, they both are imprisoning people, but the elves are much more humane about it. Yes, they get some pretty good treatment. I think it talks about how Thorin's fed really well for a week before he even like, said anything. So After it gets over his thankfulness, yeah. he starts to feel spite. Mm -hmm. Alright, stretch. Um... In both cases, they're imprisoned for trespassing. So, and like, sort of trespassing in areas that they didn't really know was somewhere you could trespass. So, the dwarves, what do you think? Do the dwarves just have like really bad luck or just like complete non understanding of boundaries? <laughs> I think the dwarves are just too short to see the really tall uh, keep out signs. <laughs> I would accept that theory, except for in the mountains, I don't think the goblins would have been going for the really high signs. That's, that's really interesting, because if you think about it, both times they were captured for trespassing, they were in a desperate situation where they found refuge somehow. Mm -hmm. In the mountains, they found a dry cave to escape the rain and the wind. And in the forest, they found firelight and food. I hadn't thought of that until you just brought that up. Well, I think First, I mean, obviously for the goblin, that was a that was a trick that no one knew about mm -hmm. the, the trap door. Yeah, they, I think they made a claim at trespassing, but it seemed painful. Yeah. Where, but whereas in Merkwood, they were told very specifically, do not leave the path mm -hmm. for any kind of reason. So, which of course, yeah. when, when someone tells you to not do something, something, the first thing you do it. Of course, why? Why would we follow the yeah, adults' instructions? <laughs> It's also interesting that both times they have this really awful, awful turn of luck. Like they catch by the goblins. Sorry, they captured by the wood elves. But both times it kind of does work out in their favor. Like captured by the goblins, they they made like the quickest way through a mark where you could have gone like straight through the goblin tunnels and out the other side. Misty Mountain. Misty Mountain. Sorry, Misty Mountains. What did I say? <laughs> Sorry. Oh yeah. Okay. And then in Merkwood when they're captured by the elves, like if they would have kept going, I think this is actually in the next chapter. It talks about how the path would have ended, they never would have gotten through this elf path. So it's a good thing they got captured, because the only way safely through Merkwood was to go through the Elven King's Halls and under, like right up the river, right? So they had these really awful, or seemingly awful, twists of luck where they were captured, and it's always sort of worked out best for them in the end. Taryn? What I find interesting about these chapters, I think um, some some people could take it as a critique of Tolkien's work that he resorts so often to, and this was actually lucky for them, or as luck would have it, this happened. But I think that's an important part of what he's trying to communicate through him. Like, it's not like Bilbo's superior skill. He is just <laughs> happens, perhaps, to find himself in lucky situations, and that contributes just as much as anything he does. Mm -hmm, that's a good point, because he's not this great warrior hero all the time. He's just really darn lucky. <laughs> Greg? I think it's also one of the defining experience of hobbits that as soon as they leave the Shire, they're completely over their heads. 
Yes. So, they, well, so basically, are really short. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the literalism, then. Anyways, I, anyways, I'm just saying that they tend to barely have any clue what's going on, and basically, it's just they're just so sheltered that it would be unrealistic for them to be prepared at all for anything ever. That's a good point. <laughs> and yes, Bilbo. I mean, even even the dwarves are unprepared at this point. So, like, to say Bilbo's unprepared is even kind of an understatement. Like, he has no clue. <laughs> Just, just speaking on that, because I mean, Thorin at some point has, you know, he's one of the few that actually lived in Erebor and had to cross it through this wilds at some point to get to Erebor. I don't. There, there's a small part of me that's like, what did you think was going to happen? <laughs> it's like it's almost so unbelievable that they're this unprepared for the adventure because at yeah. least some of them have had to make a journey of a similar nature. Didn't they flee to the mountains in the north before it was overrun by goblins? So? And I would point out at that point it was probably greenwood, not murkwood. Yeah, no, it was thousand years. No, but uh, but it was only murkwood once the necromancer yeah. was in the area and started tainting the forest. So you can get it in the book timeline. It's really warm. Somebody get the timeline off the internet or something. The movies. No, but I think I think Brayden slash Corinne's um, point that well, Brayden oh, Brayden slash Dan's point about that it was a, a safer time, safer a hundred years ago is kind of valid because I don't know when exactly the necromancer moves in, but it I think it's kind of implied that he doesn't really become a problem until like around the events of the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. Well, also you get the point that um. The, this elf path that Bjorn thinks is still good, like, so it has to have been good reasonably recently, has now been overrun. So, like, the fact that they can't use this elven path anymore has to be a relatively recent, like, addition to their issues there. <coughs> yeah, they could have gone around. Sassy Gandalf's <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, like, Gandalf's a pretty smart part guy. He would have probably heard word about the the path being overrun if he'd heard if this had been a while ago. So this must have been very, very recent. Well, I think that's brought up in the next chapter. Is like Gandalf is like, oh no, the path yeah. is no good anymore. He hears like, right away. I guess what he's more is like specific events. Yeah, like most of the stuff is pretty recent, but. Mm-hmm. I feel like they just kind of thought they could walk there. Yeah, and get it done, and I. Even when it was safer in that time, you still would have had the danger of not having food in the wilds, just it being a very large place. It, I don't know. It's just, it's amusing to me that... It, it makes a point here, too, about... It's like they... He's like, give up your arms. And I'm like, well, we don't have any. Like, here, have our pocket knives. We lost them. It's like, you, you were in Merkwood with these massive spiders and you had pocket knives? Like, that, that's all they thought they needed. I mean, they probably lost a lot, too, but... Yeah, they are very unprepared. Yeah. Yeah. Taryn, and then Kelsey? Um, to go off that point, even when they, like in the next chapter, I'm getting ahead, I know, but that's not really there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but in the next chapter, when they kind of show up, they're like, oh yeah, we're going to like get rid of the dragon or whatever. And it's like, how? <laughs> <laughs> and like, everyone's like, mm, yeah, they're probably going to die. <laughs> so even on that level, they're 
I don't know if yeah. it's a level of pride in Thorin that he's like, I can just walk up and be king and take down this dragon, or if it's just like they just kind of haven't thought that far ahead. Maybe a combination of both. Expecting someone else to do it for them? Bilbo or Gandalf? According to the Tolkien wiki, it says that it became known as Mirkwood around the turn of the first millennium when the Necromancer showed up. And that in 2850, Gandalf shows up and discovers the Necromancer. So it's been almost 2,000 years. Yeah. And it, but it's also safe to assume that it has been like worsening, especially around this, this timeline. His sphere of influence. Yeah. <laughs> Shall we? Yeah, um, I was probably getting ahead with you, but it's like, it's like even the Elven King's like when he hears what's going on, he's like, there's probably burgling going around and not just like trying to take yeah. over. Yeah, trying to kill the dragon. Yeah. Thirteen against the dragon. <laughs> they have no plans for that. Yeah. Nick. Well, yeah, when we started with the first few chapters of this book, and then they were talking about their giving Bubba the rundown of their plans, like their their adventure, and I said that you know, like Smaug will point out. How does Bilbo expect to carry one fourteenth share of a mountain of gold and treasure back to the Shire without incident? Like he doesn't have the logistics all figured out. They're just winging the entire thing. They have no like strategy, no advanced planning. They're just going to see what happens. You know, you just take the most expensive fourteenth by volume. <laughs> yeah, but then how do you get that there? One Hobbit. All yeah. the way you as have as one fourteenth of a mountain of gold. You can hire. <laughs> as the story progresses, we do see some holes in their thing. But as Taryn pointed out, a lot of the unplannedness is compensated for by luck, which we see a lot in this chapter. What are some specific instances of luck in Barrels of Bond, Ben? Uh, well, kind of at the end where all the dwarves are in the barrels, one, or one of the elves is like, these barrels are way too heavy. I think that you like are already drunk and put the good barrels there. And then the other guy, he's just like, no, those are the barrels. And it's really lucky that they didn't check. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Shelby? I mean, to start off with, that there's a celebration going on that there, uh, has all the elves drunk as can be. Mm-hmm. That they choose... The particular wine that they choose is like the best, most potent wine. Yeah, there. and they just had to have an entire flagon rather than like a wine glass. I think they actually talk, they actually use luck in that phrase too. It was lucky that. And then Raiden is that a hand? Uh, oh, okay. So it's also lucky that it was the captain of the guard that just happened to be invited to drink with the head butler. Yes, and that the keys. It could have been just any random guy. No, it was the captain of the guard. You had all the keys. Yeah. Something about professionalism in the Berkman Guard, someone's drinking on shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, he might not be on shit, he might just always have the keys. Yeah, but yeah. he's still drinking when he's working. Drinking while in possession of the keys, never a good idea. <laughs> 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 it's not like he's a police officer, there's not necessarily rules. But uh, kind of related to luck, because somebody made a mention of old Bilbo is like so out of his head, over his head, but he's pretty lucky. He's actually pretty capable in this chapter. Like, I, I guess I should let people like pick examples of Bilbo actually like taking care of himself. Well, he's moving in and out all the time with the elves as they go out on their adventures because he could easily get locked out or get squished by the doors. 
parent. Also, he's taking advantage of all the luck. Like, he's, he knows, like, oh, this chance isn't going to come again. Well, this is the perfect opportunity for me to take advantage of this. So, it's, like, he has his opportunities, but he's the one who makes use of the opportunities. Chubby? Just hearing about, where, like, where Thorne is. They were like, where is he? We don't know where yeah. he is. And then they hear about some random horse they have locked away from everyone else. Yeah, because they didn't know he was in, like, they could have just, like, escaped without him, really. Worst case scenario. Yeah. He takes it upon himself to formulate a plan for their escape. Mm-hmm. Well, she also kind of, like, take it upon himself to say, you'll formulate a plan for Yeah. Right? <laughs> 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 but he, he goes so far as to leave the, the hall mm-hmm. outside the magic doors that never open. Just you, like, reconnaissance work, yeah. Yeah. Good point. And he, he won't eat or sleep, partly for fear of being discovered. Mm-hmm. But he, I mean, he's super vigilant. He never takes off the ring. Yeah. He's also very, like, for all the dwarves at this point, because, like, we've seen him before. He's been like, oh, I should go save the dwarves. But he hasn't ever had to at this point. But he's always like, yeah, I should do it because it falls on me. And this time he actually. Like, he, he could escape. I mean, I don't know what he would do by himself, but he could escape himself and be fine. He could probably live on the other side. <laughs> but I mean, like, there's nothing saying he has to save all the dwarves, but he doesn't, and he gets all 13 out relatively safely and only a little bit, like, sick, but... Waterlogged. Waterlogged. <laughs> How do the dwarves do Bilbo in this chapter? They're pretty impressed by the end of it. Mm-hmm. After they get over it. <laughs> <laughs> they're a little bit fickle, I think. They're kind of like, as long as Bilbo is like doing stuff for them, they're like, we love Bilbo, but the minute something goes wrong, they're like, Bilbo, it's all your fault. <laughs> you always blame the one in charge, though, don't you? Yeah. Well, yeah. They treat him a lot like someone else in the book. Gandalf? Yes. They treat him a lot like Gandalf in this chapter. He is the one who has to come up with a plan... He is the one whose fault it is that the plan doesn't work. He kind of sneakily doesn't tell them his plan because he's pretty sure they're going to hate him. <laughs> <laughs> and again, the way he, he makes a plan, he's like, this is what's going to happen. You know, you're on a need to know basis. Like. It'd be interesting to see who they blame if neither Bilbo nor Gandalf were around. They would just turn on each other like that. And just, you know, just who would they blame and without uh, an external person on their group? Well, then Thor is in charge, and they yeah. wouldn't blame Thor because Thor is the king. So <laughs> Thor's a very important dwarf. They probably no, they blame Bomber. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good point, though, because the thing is that when Thor isn't there, like for the first half of the chapter, they don't know he's there. It's like Bilbo's in charge because it's a, it's a huge. It's who's in charge? The other dwarves aren't very. I don't want to say ambitious, yeah. but. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they did blame Bomber. When he lost Bilbo in the tunnels, Gandalf's gone. Bill was gone. Oh, no, that, that, that was that was Dory. That was Dory. But they do blame Bilbo. But they blame Bomber a lot in Mirkwood. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, Bomber's not very helpful in Mirkwood. Bomber's helpful most of the time. <laughs> and there's a lot of him to carry. <laughs> but yeah, so when Thorin is gone and when Gandalf is gone, everything kind of falls to Bilbo. It's, they wait for Bilbo to think of a plan. Even Thorin, in this case, waits for Bilbo to think of a plan. He isn't the only place to do something, but he's also proven to be the most 
useful, I think, so far. Well, does he sort of, I'm just thinking, does he react to the dwarves grumbling in the same way that Gandalf does? Oh, the when next chapter is pretty sassy. <laughs> when they start complaining about his stupid barrel plan, he yeah. offers to go and lock them all up in their cages. Yeah. That, that, Very Gandalf-y thing. Gandalf Gandalf like like yeah. Spectrum from this chapter? I think he spends pretty much all the time in took mode here because he's sassy the door or something like that. Sass. <laughs> you can argue that seems like a bag, isn't yeah. Because he's still being super practical. Yes, like, very practical. Like, totally ruled on the practical side. Yes. And I always call him Mr. Baggins in this chapter, too. Whenever they talk about poor Mr. Baggins, it's always like, I don't know, I think that if, it was, if he is all Baggins now, he's not really happy. Oh, the narrator, yeah. It's always poor Mr. Baggins. Yeah. It has to be done by Mr. Baggins. No help for Mr. Baggins. Well, he is Mr. Invisible Baggins, so... <laughs> yes, he has a new name. <laughs> Craig, were you making a point? No, I was just scratching my head. Oh. <laughs> and there is a... I think it's in this chapter. There is a line where... Bilbo is very Turkish. Coriolfin uh, says his the wistful memories of his distant home and the comforts of his earlier life are now informed by his Turkish experiences. So you still get this very Bagginsy line where it's talking about how he's wishing for his breakfast and he's wishing for his hobbit hole. I thought if I talk long enough, I'd find the line. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. Oh, it's, here. It's when he's stealing food yeah. and he can't sleep. He oh, it's once, once around the end of the barrel. It says he no longer thought twice about picking up supper uninvited. He knew now only too well what it was to be really hungry, not merely politely interested in the dainties of a well-filled larder. So he's no longer like, oh, I wish I had my nice shelves full of food. It's so pretty. It's so good. Now he's just hungry. Like, it's, <laughs> it's mere survival instinct. He doesn't care if he's rude and he steals. Karen? Well, that's one thing I found interesting about this chapter, because I hadn't read it for a while, so I didn't remember. But he's actually stealing stuff mm -hmm. from random people, from, from the Elven King. Like, the Elven King were like, okay, you're kind of trapped, you don't really have a choice. But he, like, actually goes and steals from the random villagers. And I, I guess I found it surprising, because I think we tend to look at Bilbo as kind of like, the, this like really noble like hobbit who's like wouldn't do things like that or whatever, but he's actually kind of stepping into that burglar kind of mm -hmm. role, which I find. Which is a really really good segue into my next point. <laughs> but the fact that Bilbo now has a new role, which is the role he was intended to be all along, and what does Bilbo make of this new role that he has? How does Bilbo feel about his job description now? This job sucks. And? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's, he says, I'm like the burglar that can't get away but must go on miserably burgling the same house day after day. So he's like, I'm a really great burglar, but I can only steal from these one guys. <laughs> That's what I was saying. He feels trapped in his burglar profession. But now that it's come to actual burglaring, because like last chapter we saw him being brave. We saw him with a sword. He was that hero warrior that Gandalf couldn't find at the beginning of the adventure. And that was the burglar that Gandalf did find. 
He's not really enjoying it. He's pretty good at it, though. Mm -hmm. Well, Terry Probos. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, sorry. For his kind of second round of burglaring when he breaks into like the village or whatever, that's kind of like, he's just like, well, I'm hungry, I have to do this. There's really a good goal. It's not like it's something he wants to do, it's kind of like he's driven to another necessity. More or less. Not like the patrols when he's like, oh, gotta prove myself, <laughs> gotta yeah, steal this later. It smell like. I think that's something you could like, ah, I stole this from a drug. Take mm -hmm. some pride in that, but I don't know at this point if he has, I don't know if he has a tremendous amount of pride in his burglaring skill at this point. Mm -hmm. That's well, a good point. That. <laughs> yeah? Also, I wouldn't say he's getting very good at burgling. He starts, like, he's invisible, sure. But when he's stealing from the villagers, he's sneezing and coughing and mm -hmm. being generally quite loud. And That's a good point. He has to leave because of it. Josh? See, I would say he's got to be a pretty good burglar if Thorin is complimenting him on it. Thorin doesn't know what's or happening. <laughs> Thorin just has a very low standard burglar. <laughs> he's a dwarf, after all. Well, last time he tried, well, he got told off by Thorin something awful for trying to steal the wallet, so... I don't know, I think Lawrence got a change of heart here. I think that's a good point. Say more about that, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that in the past, Thorne's been very reserved with his compliments and um, giving credit to other people. Mm -hmm. He is a, a little self-interested, I would say. Mm -hmm. But now... <clears throat> I, th I think Bilbo's changing is also changing Thorin's outlook on life. That's a good point. We'll see some big stuff about that in the next couple of chapters. <laughs> yeah. Um, what are some things that Bilbo steals in this chapter? Probably the food. The keys. Keys, yep. <clears throat> and puts them back. Which is super cute. Because he's just a really good guy. <laughs> <laughs> so he won't get caught. Yeah. He steals dwarves, I would say. He kind of stole captives, like, right under the Elf King's nose. They kind of steal the bear. Yeah. Well, they do eventually get to their thing, but yeah. It's like they saw the borrowing with no permission of the barrels. He also steals a lot of information. I think he gets a lot of information just sneaking around. He listens in on conversations. So he's like a spy and burglar. Yeah. He does like well, a kind of reconnaissance. He's word. moving right on. <laughs> he steals a loaf of bread, a leather bottle of wine, mm -hmm. and a pie. <laughs> so he's got a full meal. Yeah. A lot of starch in that meal. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's like British meat pie kind of thing. Could be. It does sound like a very hobbity meal, anyways. Well, as hobbity a meal as he could get, given the circumstances, maybe. Well, it does make sense for it. For Tolkien to defer to a meat pie as just a pie mm -hmm. because that's one of those that's one of those things you probably don't explain. You like right? Yeah, especially because the like the French kids were really no yeah. and the people at the time probably knew what he meant too. It's like we're in an earlier chapter when he describes a football. It's probably not a football like North American, <laughs> <laughs> but you probably don't get into the the nitty gritties of the different game codes in a fantasy novel. <laughs> Um, he steals Thorne's admiration. Aww. <laughs> 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 Come on, he already had her. 
steals our hearts. <laughs> you tried to steal the show. <laughs> you stole my thunder. <laughs> oh, we have discussed this already. But, so he is a burglar now, but would you say this scene is a turning point in his career in any way? Or a turning point in the story, or in Bilbo's life? Right. Well, now he's actually forced into breaking his matter of survival instead of just doing something to be cool. So I think that this is when, so this is truly when he becomes the burglar. Mm -hmm. Not just some guy whose job is to be the burglar. That's a good point. I like that uh, distinction between those two. I would say this isn't so much of like the turning point as a continuation and a development from the turning point when he was lost in Mirkwood and had to like get rid of all the spiders That's himself. True. Because that, I feel, is where he's like, okay, no one is going to save like, me or the dwarves unless I don't do it. So I think that's the first time, to a certain extent, although you could argue maybe for the riddles in the dark, although he still is hoping to up with camp with Gandalf and them again. But like that, that feels one of the first times where he's actually like, it's me or it's nobody. Mm -hmm. And this is just kind of another moment of that, but I think taken to a deeper level where he's like, yeah, it really is me, and now I can make it like, a really good plan, mm -hmm. and some stuff like that. So I think it's a continuation, but not necessarily the first turning point. That's a good point. How much time do we have left? It's 12.42. Do we have time to go over that song? Do we want to go over the song? Let's go over the song. Awesome. It's really I cool, and I feel like it has implications if you look at it in the greater story. <laughs> I thought you were saying well, no to me. It's just your phone inside. Like how much time No, Jerry, you're still our favorite hobbit. You make a pretty good Rick. Like it's obviously about the barrels for them, but it could be about the dwarves. But I mean, 
are they just singing because they don't think anyone's listening? Well, it's, that's what elves yeah. do. Like, elves love to sing. This is true. And they are drunk elves. Everyone in Middle Earth loves to sing. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. If some don't, then that's important. Does Smog like to sing? No, that's I, I think that Lord of the Rings, I think yeah. these books might actually be a musical. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen that Tumblr post when they're all holding their things up and just put that thing back where it came from? <laughs> <laughs> no. But show me that later. It's like hanging out with Tom Bombadil where singing was more natural than speaking. I just wanted to say south away, south away. That river flows east. It eventually turns south though, doesn't it? Yeah. Not really. Yeah. And the next yeah, chapter talks about how it turns and yeah, it turns south. The Long Lake is dead east. I think if you look at the closer look at the map, it moves south. Look at the map, it bends south pretty much as soon as it gets out of Mirkwood. Mm, yeah, it does. Yeah, it, it's 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 southeast. Yeah, but eventually it takes the but southeast in. But back south. to the lands you lands you once did know was the Long Lake. It doesn't go south. It's a, it's a very. I'm telling you, man. Very gentle. Southeast. It's like we're kind of Grand Prairie being north. Grand Prairie is more west than it is north, but it's still relatively north. That's fair. I'll give that to you. <laughs> <laughs> Nick had a point, and Lucas is going to make a point for Coriolis. I did not have a point. Okay. I was going to make a point for Coriolis. <laughs> you kind of made the big point. For like they, oh, but they're talking about like the way he puts it is you know they're talking about leave the halls and caverns deep and of course the dwarves would be like sign me up, <laughs> uh, you know leave the forest wide and dim and its shadows gray and grim, uh, so this goes back to Kara's point about like really getting captured sucks but it does get them out of Mirkwood faster like not in time wise but they don't have to wander all the way through Mirkwood, um, yeah and back to the lands you once did know which is. The whole point of this story is the dwarves are going back to Erebor, and now the elves are kind of musically sending them that way. Which is appropriate. Which is appropriate. Given the story so far. Uh, some of the, the symbols of, like, the breeze blowing towards the mountain, kind of... Which we got from the other poem. Yeah, kind of is similar to the dwarves' poem in Bjorn's house about the wind. Mm-hmm. Um, only that one was, I believe that one was more like a like great gushing wind, and this is a breeze. They're following a river. They're going pretty leisurely there. Um, there's, I lost it, but there's some something in here where it's, it stops being about just like direction, and they're being sent towards where they go, but there's a, like a reference to time. Sunlight in the day. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Under sunlight in the day. But you get the sense that the they're not they're not just being sent back to the physical location they want to be. They're kind of going back to like the state they want it to be in, full of wine. You can stay for a bit Well, there's a progression from night to day. Like it starts out they're in the, un- in the shadows, and then it talks about the rise of the stars, and then it's dawn, and then it's sunlight, and it's like full of day. Yeah. So there's that progression for sure. Which could even just be a literal caverns deep. They're in these dark underground prisons, basically, going back to where they can see their home. Okay, there's one more good point okay. before we break. Okay, we have like two minutes, who, but you can make it. Who is, who are the elves, like who is hearing this elf song? 
the elves, the, the Bilbo. What? And then the Bilbo. The Hobbit. So when the elves are singing Back to Lands You Once Know, that has a very different meaning for Bilbo than it does for the dwarves. Because Bilbo's not from the same place as the dwarves. <laughs> he doesn't even go there. <laughs> but, um, <coughs> but, and some of the description of the lands, like this very um, back to pasture, back to mead, where the oxen feed, this is very much, it's the Shire for Bilbo. It's this wonderful pastoral place. So not only are they sending the dwarves out of imprisonment and like saying, go away from this deep, dark place, um, they're kind of singing Bilbo back to the Shire, which is kind of where he wanted to be to begin with. Um, since we are doing a different chapter, we are going to do a round circle again about a warm welcome. Uh, favorite part, something that struck you, something you liked, disliked. Oh, so first I should do announcements again for those of you who came in later. Uh, games night Friday, this room 6 to 10 I think. Uh, same format as last time, bring board games if you want to play them, bring $5 if you want to order pizza. It's a good time. The 21st, which is three Fridays from now, is our term end party. Uh, lots of people presenting at that would be great. Send me an email if you want to present something, brief description of what you're doing and about how long it's going to take, just so I can add to the program and make sure we have enough time for everything. Uh, also, bring $5 if you want to order pizza. Present stuff, it's really cool. We'll have a piano there. Inklings, Thursday, yeah, Thursday 11.30 to 1.30. Um, if anyone will be or, I don't know, is uh, maybe participating in Anorama, if you'd like emotional support, come and and join me. Uh, that'd be nice. And because it's a long weekend, there is no class on Monday, so our book study is going to be on Wednesday next week, like with Thanksgiving. So this room, same time, but Wednesday. So jealous. Okay, warm welcome. Does anybody want to go first? Because I'll pick on you if you don't. I'll go. Okay, we're going to go clockwise again. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're going to go clockwise to put you on the spot. That's okay, I have to say. I think we're kind of progress. Okay, so my favorite part is when Thorin goes, I am Thorin, son of Thrain, son of Thor, king of the mountain. I return. Because the first time he's being, like, actually an important dwarf, instead of being a very important dwarf on capital letters. <laughs> I didn't read it. <laughs> I didn't read it either. My favorite part from this chapter was the fact that Bilbo, when they come to a stop, at the bend in the river, rather than taking that time to let the dwarves out, he goes and gets some food and has a good sleep. <laughs> <laughs> they, they could have gotten out at that point, in my mind, and it just seems weird that he's like, all right, we'll wait until we get to Lake Town, that makes more sense. We're dwarves. <laughs> um, I like how everyone in Lake Town is very welcoming. And then privately, the master of Lake Town's kind of like, yeah, bumper each other, all gonna get eaten. Can we all agree that Stephen Fry was amazing? Yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> Stephen Fry was amazing when they put him on the casting. He could have not even <laughs> take done any shots. He could have just narrated without even being present that he was something awesome. <laughs> My favorite part was how sassy Bilbo's gotten. Like, he's really taken on the Gandalf role because they, they start grumbling and, like, he takes them off the barrels and they're, like, bad mouthing him. He's like, are you alive or are you dead? Do you wish you were still there? You're a little bumped up. You're alive. Go get you some food. And 
he just he, they're so ungrateful and I think Bilbo's finally starting to snap and be like no I can have done it for myself it, after all this is your adventure not mine exactly <laughs> I didn't get to it uh, my favorite part was uh, when the captain, when they get to Lake Town, the captain's like, if you come in peace, lay down your arms, and Thorne says, we have none, we don't need any. And it's like, they're going to take on a dragon, and Thorne's basically like, yeah, we got this. <laughs> uh, I love when Thorne whacks pomposity, and they're asking who Feely is, and he's like, the, you know, the son of my father's daughter. <laughs> Nephew, nephew wasn't wasn't an option. Okay. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> son of Thor, son of Thor. They're used to this. I think my favorite part of this chapter is one sentence that comes after they're talking about how real legends still live on in Lake Town, but this pleasant legend did not much affect their daily business. That is so. Absolutely true. I just love that. Uh, my favorite part was anything that has been mentioned or will be mentioned in the next hour. <laughs> um, I really like the part where um, you know Thorin comes in and uh, the elves from Mirkwood who were sending the barrels along are like, "Hey, <laughs> you are our freaking prisoners. What are you doing here?" <laughs> <laughs> you crashed our party three times. <laughs> In three different places. Are you stalking us? <laughs> uh, I like how overreactive the townsfolk are when the dwarves arrive. It's like, hey, there's some dwarves here. Let's throw a party. This is going to be awesome. <laughs> Business hall. Like, nothing's happened yet. They've just shown up and suddenly you're partying like it's, I don't know. New Year's for the next 10 years, so. <laughs> I gotta say, I, it, it's like between Sassy Bilbo and the song that the Lake Town men sing. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite part is also the Sassy Bilbo. <laughs> it takes the dwarves out of the barrels. That's where we start. Um... I thought since we just did the elf song, I thought we should do the men's song now, so we can kind of compare the two. Um, would somebody like to read it? Is this the King Winnie? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I'll do my thing. Uh, okay. Um, uh, the King Winnie the Mountains? Yes. The king beneath the mountains, the king of carven stone, the lord of silver fountains, shall come into his own. His crown shall be upholden, his harp shall be restrung, his hull shall echo golden, to songs of yore be sung. The wood shall wave on mountains, the grass beneath the sun, his wealth shall flow in fountains, and the rivers golden run. The streams shall run in gladness, the lakes shall shine and burn, all sorrow, fail, and sadness at the Mountain King's return. Thank you. So they say. So they say. And there was <laughs> more, like that. which is kind of in Tolkien's theme of songs. Like, this is a part of it. There is way more, but I won't write it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then he gets to Lord of the Rings and he's like, 
like write the whole song. Yeah. <laughs> you have four pages. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, here it's like we got adventures to do. Yeah. Please refer to Book of Songs page. <laughs> <laughs> Any first impressions on this? On this, Josh? It sounds a lot like a hymn. Mm-hmm. That's a good point, yeah. It's the return of the king. Yes. Shelby? Um, I, th I think I agree. It's like, it's very like praising, but I feel like there's this hint at the bad bit at, in the last stanza having to do with the all sorrow, fail, and sadness. Mm -hmm. I don't know, there's like a hint of something to come. It's a good point. It sounds like they're kind of banking on the dwarves' wealth. They're excited because they're going to find it. Yeah. So that it makes sense that they would maintain legends about this day. That's a good point. Tara? Yeah, just kind of to build off that, it's like there's a progression from stone to silver to gold, roughly. And then, but then in the last stanza, it kind of becomes very vague mm -hmm. and a lot more about like gladness and emotion. So I find that an interesting progression how it's from wealth to like, the emotional. I'll come to your That's a good point. Anything else on the song? Anyone get the impression that the lake men are jumping the gun a little here? <laughs> Hold on. It doesn't seem like they have much to be excited about. Well, like, the first three stanzas, like, well, the first two definitely, like, it's all like, oh yeah, the king's gonna come and then it's gonna be great, he's gonna have all this money. The second one is kind of like the wood shell wave on mountains. It makes me kind of think about when Smog first arrived because his wings made like all the trees just blow everywhere. And then the lake shall shine and burn. It's like, that doesn't sound good. Why is burning good? Current? <laughs> <laughs> it could be like molten metal. You're talking about the rivers flowing in gold. And they would be kind of shining if they were made of gold. That would also be kind of shiny if they were like the dragon fire. <laughs> it's a, it's a fair point. It's a metaphor. I, I'm sure thinking on saying people think, or I read the all sorrow, fail, and sadness at the mountain king's return. It's just the way it's worded. Mm -hmm. I see and sadness at the mountain king's return that, they, that there's a premonition of something bad happening with it. Like they kind of, as an afterthought, remember, oh wait, there's a dragon in that mountain. I think I actually disagree. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's just a poetic rendering, and that it, it should, if it was rendered in proper English, it would be all sorrow and sadness fail at an King's return. Mm -hmm. Because it's poetic, it's. It's yeah, so, To give better feathering. Drop this my opinion. Well, I think Tolkien's just being very ironic in his. Poetic license with the I think I, I think the Dunsel car, yes, you know, thinking this all happy, I'm sure to them burn is just basically a synonym for like shining. Mm -hmm. Just golden light and then everything's wonderful. I think it just Tolkien's just playing with the audience so that it's like <laughs> you are right in more ways than one. Yeah, it's a little and, yeah. double meaning there. I don't know. This is just me being way too modern reading this book. This sounds like a really terrible Kickstarter campaign. <laughs> Overhyped this mission. <laughs> <laughs> no actual point. promises of this actually happening, though. 
and no promises of them getting any. Like Thorin is very tight-lipped in this chapter when they ever they talk about the treasure. He's like, "Yeah, we're gonna get the treasure." No mention of giving the like. Like they're like, "Oh, we're pretty sure you're gonna like be gracious because of our hosting." But it's still no mention of giving them anything. No mention of repayment. And he does it later on. Well, we'll see. <laughs> Spoilers. I feel like this would make a great Kickstarter campaign. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go get the mountain back. <laughs> we need. <laughs> Well, no, the campaign's great. I'm just saying that it's one of those that you're not quite sure if they'll come through at the end and waste all your money on it. Well, I think that's what the master's thinking anyways throughout the end of this chapter. He's like, I'm not too sure about these guys. Well, what's kind of, I'm just going to say, like, they're having all this uh, amazing like trust in the dwarves, but they're not even... Like, what proof do they really have that this is even Thorin? Be like any random dwarf, which is kind of what the master. He knew his father and grandfather's name. Like, (laughs) (laughs) and they just happen to be famous legendary kings. Well, that's. (laughs) I can't remember if this is something we talked about in a book study or in an English class back in high school, but I think there is this uh, tradition in sort of medieval writing that people don't misrepresent themselves. Like, you know, that's why. Yeah, when guards show like who goes there, it's like. You just answer with who you actually are. No one's actually going to be like, oh, I'm your boss. Yeah. <laughs> I'm your king. I'm a dog. Like, that conversation doesn't actually happen. Nobody thought of lying until... Yeah. yeah. I feel like well, they're always too proud to not say their real name. We've also had that with the men of Gondor is that they don't lie, so it's difficult for them to be lied to. They can see through it, like with Faramir. Mm-hmm. That was one of the things that, no, just don't lie, because they know. Well, but then this would be different because then the master is actually suspecting that people are lying to him. But I guess he's like, he's not like obviously a man of Gondor who would be one of those people who doesn't lie because he's kind of like a corrupt little official. But, um. So you can also deviate from kind of that evil tradition of like, oh, we just assume everyone is telling the truth. Mm-hmm. Well, like I said, I think that probably has more to do with like pride in your adventuring heritage than actually. I'm so honest. Um, but yeah, so this would be, I guess, like a kind of an interesting deviation from yeah. both those things then. Well, to what Taryn said, like, it does say at the kind of the end of the chapter, it was, then for the first time the master was surprised and a little frightened and he wondered if Thorne was after all really a descendant of the old king. So I guess your point is valid. They do really think that, but... Yeah. I was just going to say the same thing. Okay. And just going back to the song, because we're going to hit this in a couple more questions later. What does the song tell us about the men? Because we haven't had men singing yet. Okay? My thing is actually about the previous thing. Oh, you, you can still make it. <laughs> okay, actually, judging from how the Master of Lake Town seems to be this very, like, vicious, rule-based little guy, a little part of me is saying that the townspeople don't necessarily completely believe it either. They're just doing this as an excuse to get a couple of weeks off. <laughs> <laughs> Mine is kind of like a sprawling random point, um, but I'm kind of wondering then what this, ha- just as like a matter of discussion, what this ha- would say about um, people's view to the legends, and what is the significance that the old legends could become true, and I think we see this in a couple other parts, but I don't know if we want to discuss that. No, that's a particular moment. Well, because that's like what they're, like, that's what the men's songs are about, right, is their legends, like... 
the elves sing about starlight and drinking and dancing, and the goblins sing what they're going to do, and the men sing about their legends and their past, right? Something that happened. Yeah. That's, yeah. But they also make new songs up. That's a good point, too, because the whole time, like, some of the songs are old and about the king, and lots of new ones are about the dragon must be dead, and the king has come back. Like, they spend their whole time with the world, so they're writing songs and singing them at their doorstep, and it's a very big piece of culture for the men, I think. Forward onto that, it almost seems just a quick general impression that elves and dwarves sing songs to honor things, mm-hmm. but the men sing songs to remember things. They don't That's have memories point. as long as elves or dwarves. Oh, they they also Corey also points out maybe it's in the book too, but there's you know, Thorin's like 150 years old, or it was 150 years since the mountain fell. I can't remember which one, but like that was probably several several generations of men. Yeah. Since that happened, so the dwarves, or at least some of them, were probably old enough to actually remember that. Whereas the dwarf, or the hum- the people of Lake Town, they actually need like a song to communicate that because it's like my grandfather might have remembered that, but he's in, like dead. Yeah. <laughs> and it even points out in I think this chapter that some of the youngest generation were like, ah, dragon. There's no such thing as a dragon <laughs> under the mountain. Yeah. Like that's ridiculous. Kids. So yeah, and that's another instance of where like. This, there's like these legends, and they, some of them take them seriously, and some of them like. I mean, they, I think there's like some extent they're like, oh yeah, a legend about gold. Let's pay attention to that one. But some of the other ones are like, ah, oh, that's just a legend. There's no dragon. We can just have gold. Um, so, and yet both of the legends are important, yet equally are kind of flexible. I guess like some of them believe them, some of them don't. Mm-hmm. But then they both end up. I suppose we ought to thank our stars and Mr. Baggins after they like all escape. 
Mm-hmm. So it's like Thorin's acknowledging, yeah, this is all pretty lucky. But also we have Bilbo, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, when they're talking about, again, like this was the fastest way they could get to Lake Town because mm-hmm. the the one part of the river is swollen from rains and they wouldn't have been able to pass it that way. The elf road that they were using is no longer passable. They just happen to get the absolute best possible way. Mm-hmm. Even if it seemed really bad at the time. And even Gandalf hears about this and starts worrying from somewhere mm-hmm. far away in his other adventure. Yep. Yeah, we do get Gandalf mentioned in this chapter. It's the first time in a while. They go a very long time without Gandalf. I don't know if I realized that until this read-through. Like, they really do go probably the longest in terms of, like, chapters without Gandalf that they've gone so far in their journey. Guess you went lucky, Mr. Baggins. They kind of make a mess of it, too. Just, just Yeah. Um, even as Bilbo says in the first couple pages, he realized he was very fortunate to ever have seen it at all, and he'd been more lucky than he had guessed. So even Bilbo's starting to kind of notice and be like, hmm. I'm a pretty lucky guy. I probably couldn't have done this given any other circumstances ever. Sort of the case study of this is better to be lucky than good. It's, like, it's more useful, I don't know about better. It's, it's, I think it certainly could be argued that Bilbo has not been particularly adept at the whole adventuring thing thus far, like before Mirkwood, yet somehow they're still getting through things without anybody dying. Maybe it's better to be lucky than to be skilled. Yeah, I think Bill was pretty good. Yeah, no, I think he's good at stuff. Which, you could argue with me, Bill is not. He's good at making food and throwing rocks and something else. He said so in the last And cooking, lots, <laughs> lots of other things lots that aren't mentioned. Lots of other things that don't have to write down. <laughs> <laughs> and cooking. And cooking, yes. So yeah, if he's ever attacked by a pack of goblins, he can just throw some bacon grease at them. That's not hurts. I know it does, okay. that's why I'm Uh, this is also the first time we see something very important. The mountain. The mountain. But also man. And also man. man. This is the first time we see man. <laughs> but we're talking like, about We see the end goal. We see this lonely mountain that they're eventually going to come to. And what do you make of the lonely mountain so far? It's very dramatic. Yes? It certainly affects Bilbo. Well, this whole time that you know, we've had the dwarves talking about it. We've had people mentioning it. It's sort of like this almost sort of a mythology built around this one single mountain with this big history, and then we're finally sort of looking at it. And so it's you know turning something that's just you know in people's heads or is like built up that's actually real. You can see it, and so it's, it'd be quite you know quite nostalgic for the dwarves, but it'd be you know might be pretty impressive for Bilbo too because he's never really seen mountains that big other than you know the Misty Mountains. Which he thought was the mountain when they got there, too. They're like, no, this is just one mountain. <laughs> Shall we? Well, it's sort of going off of that, that uh, before this point, uh, that mountain sort of makes the whole quest, like, what they're going for real. I mean, after this point, at the end of the chapter, Bilbo's actually thinking, oh, shoot, there's a dragon. <laughs> Josh, do you have a hand? It's very ominous. Mm-hmm. I mean, even with all the legends that they've had about gold and torchlight and beautiful things, when you actually see the mountain, it's dark and foreboding. Mm-hmm. It frowns at him. I think it's something that threatens him too. Is anyone a little underwhelmed by the mountain? Mm-hmm. Is that just me? It got like two passing lines and then, and then they're in the lake town and the mountain's over. 
I think that just brings. Oh, sorry, I should raise my hand. I think it's sort of just there to create the effect of a shadow of effect. Mm -hmm. Because, like, things have gotten better, but they're going to get a lot worse soon. That's a good point. It's not super in play yet, but it's going to be, and now we're like forewarned of that. Yeah, that's actually kind of what I was going to say is a lot of times Tolkien will throw in an uttering of something just to sort of bring it back into your memory. And then continue on with the story, much like how we heard about Gandalf quickly. It's like, oh yeah, Gandalf. Mm -hmm. We're not going to see him yet, yet, but still. yeah, it just sort of brings it back to your memory. That's a good point. Like an echo. Okay, we've also had a lot of mentions of something else that's going to be important soon that we haven't talked about in a while yet in the book, really. Dragon. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I want to repeat the make of this dragon. really honestly seem to just forget there's a dragon. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been inactive for how long? What? Yeah, still. Yeah. You know. People, but even the dwarves who are going with the intent of meeting this dragon are just like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, for a lot of people who've been living in Lake Town, it's, like, entirely possible that the mountain is acted as a dormant volcano because it gives off a puff of smoke here and there. Mm -hmm. But still, it's like, there's the embodiment of fire-breathing death living next to you, and it's somehow it's like, oh, well, okay, I house like the Lucas, if I told you there was a dragon in the Rockies, would you or would you not call bullshit on me? Well, it would call, yes, but... Well, I think, like, again, the men have very short lives, and the dragon's been there for at least 100 years, so most of the people have always lived with the dragon there, so it's like, it's not really, and it hasn't impacted them at all, so they're like... Well, I've lived this far with a dragon. What more can more time with a dragon nearby do? Or they need some more Even that, like, if we're thinking Smalls didn't become inactive, like, the moment he took the Lonely Mountain, he was still going on raids for a while, and then he kind of got, I don't know if he got too big to leave, or if he was just full enough already. So you would, you would realistically have, a, you know, a few generations, maybe the grandparents, that would have actually seen the dragon, like you would, you would still probably have at least one generation of people would see it. So, I mean, I could see like people, you know, like the teenagers or whatever, being like, ah, yeah, yeah not, not really cool, with, you know. That's like a curfew story that our parents gave us. <laughs> yeah, but but there should be enough people who legitimately remember that there was yeah. once a dragon that would eat everything. Josh, do you Well. It seems to be a fact of life that people have very short memories. Mm -hmm. People deliberately live at the bases of semi-active volcanoes. Yeah, even, that's true. Even today, even today yeah. when we know they're active. Yeah, people it's live on the edge of the river valley. Yeah, exactly. So oh. exactly, even though they know that that's like a flood, yeah, and collapsing hazard. And people live in Antarctica. People live in space. <laughs> I think you're using the term live very loosely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. There's, there's scientists on both ends. <laughs> no, but you have a good point. Like, it's. Also, where are these people going to go? They've lived in Lake Town probably all their lives. It's... Go to Gondor. But pretty much the only ones they have real contact with are the elves mm -hmm. at this point. And from what we've seen of Thranduil, he's not going to be letting them in if the dragon no. came out and killed them. They could just go to their nearest neighbors, so. Ben, and then Dan? Okay, I'm just gonna call spoiler alert right now because I am skipping ahead. The, book, the, the book was written. 
I know. I have to stop saying spoilers. I, I felt so like weird. everyone should know. <laughs> Some of them have written the podcast or reading it with the podcast for the first time. So that's valid. Yeah. Okay, so I'm just jumping ahead to Fire and Water, and it does say at one point that uh, uh, the, the bridge was gone and Smog's enemies were on an island in deep water, too deep and dark and cool for his liking. If he plunged into the water, a vapor and steam would arise, and enough to cover the land with mist, but the lake was mightier than he, Smog, and it would quench him before he could pass through. So, obviously, Smog doesn't like the lake. I really love the double encounter of deep water. That's fantastic. That's, That's a good point. They're relatively safe. Yeah. Well, the only reason that he goes is because he's really pissed. So it also says, like, so he wouldn't be able to swim there. But he is a dragon. He has wings. He could just fly land on the town. Yeah, but water. They well, just jump in the water and live. Well, it's plausible at this point that Smaug is just so, like, enormous and heavy and jewel-encrusted that it's just a big challenge for him to fly and graphically walking some of the time, unless he wants to impress. He might also have, like, the only, if that's the same reason, he might only be able to, like, fly a certain distance. Yeah. Although, obviously, later, he, like, does fly out, but... It's probably a lot more trouble than it's worth for him to go to, like, like, I mean... People are relatively good warriors some of the time. Like, it isn't impossible that they could take him out. So, I mean, the risk of the lake, the risk of the men, I don't know. I think that he'd rather just live slightly less well off by not eating these people. Who does not forget about the dragon? Well, the old king. I thought what I was thinking about. The group faced man. The what? The group faced man. Bilbo? No. Bilbo. Bilbo is the only one who's being super real, I mean, it's in terms of the company, very realistic. It talks about Thor, and he's strutting around like the dragon's dead and the treasure's his. Like, I'm pretty sure that's almost a direct quote. Thorin looked and walked as if his kingdom was already regained and smog ch- chopped up into little pieces. There you go. Dragon <laughs> steak. <laughs> Where's your Bilbo? He's miserable. It's like he's getting great treatment, he's fed, he's hopefully getting better. But there is still a dragon, and he knows what his job is going to be pretty soon. I wonder what the effect of living next to a dragon has on pocket One of those, like, hedonic pricing models. You know, five bedrooms, three baths, dragon. Dragon adjacent. That's going to be one of those commercials where they're like, you did, what do you mean you didn't use a real Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's actually what it says, direct quote. I bet he was floating down along the barrel string his birthday. Yeah. No. No, it talks, in the fellowship it talks about him being at the feast. Okay. okay, so then I think that the men of Lake Town aren't like celebrating at the doors of Reclaim the Mountain. They're just really happy for Bilbo that it's his birthday. <laughs> But yeah, no, no, like, no, 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 Speaking of the elves, it's funny where, uh, like, it goes back to say that the wood elves told the king, and the king was very, like, it says Mr. Baggins remained a bit of a mystery, mm -hmm. and so it's like, wait, they're only dwarves. Mr. Baggins prefers to remain a bit of a mystery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he's very careful not to give away their errands. Like, the dwarves don't give away much of their quest, and Bilbo doesn't give away how they escaped, because that would actually be pretty dumb in this case. Yeah. Um, so what else do you make of the men in this chapter? What do you make of the master in this chapter specifically? Well, it's kind of funny because like he's being, he hesitates when the dwarves and the elves are there, and he's like, who, who, who do I want to really be friends with right now? Mm -hmm. Ancient legend? Friends next door, who are only friends. But who can possibly make us rich. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Actually, well, no, I guess the master always wants to, like, side with the elves, but then the rest of the men are like, dwarves. Mm. He's kind of left. He doesn't maybe have that much power, it almost seems. He's elected. Yeah, but I mean, like... <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's just in, in, in practice, you have, you know, your tyrannical dictator with the military backing and you have a guy who's elected it's like congratulations on your election here's the big book of rules that says what you can't do <laughs> and maybe you know breaking trade agreements with elves or refusing aid to dwarves is in the big book you know, we don't know what kind of law system <laughs> so there, there's just one page that's like dwarves elves and a check mark on elves <laughs> And just uh, dragging exclamation mark. <laughs> <laughs> Hobbit's question mark. Um, Is there any indication that the Elf King actually knows anything about hobbits? No. 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 Well, nobody seems surprised to see a hobbit showing up. They also it's don't good. ask a lot of questions. They get, he gets a seat of honor and everything. He just kind of unspokenly. Yeah. I assume, I think they just assume he's like a dwarf kid or something. Like they, they would know what, oh, maybe these men would. I was going to say, they would know what about dwarves. Dane is here ish. Yeah, kind of weird, fearless dwarf who doesn't like shoes. <laughs> and has lots of hair on mm -hmm. feet with no shoes. Yeah. To be fair, we have, we've never established how hairy dwarves feet are. True. Karen? <laughs> yeah. uh, just going back to the Master of Lake Town, he doesn't really seem to have any kind of definite stance of his own. He kind of just does whatever is convenient at the moment. So when Or popular opinion. Yeah. So he, he's kind of just kind of carried by the tides, so to speak, like mm -hmm. as opposed to some of the other leaders we've seen in the book, like the Elven King, for instance, who has like, these are my rules and this is my realm, whereas the Master's just, I feel like he's a little more, whatever seems most profitable mm -hmm. at the time, maybe a little more mercenary. 
Yes. I like they use the word profitable because that actually comes up. Like the dwarves are very well treated. Like this is the best they've probably been treated, maybe even including Rivendell. And when they left, the master is actually not all that sad because as they pointed out, 13 dwarves and a hobbit are very expensive to keep. He's like, well, we might not get repaid from this, but at least they're leaving now. We don't have to pay for them anymore. Like, I think he is looking out for his bottom line and... What do you guys make of the elves in this chapter? A couple people mentioned it on Round Circle there. Seems surprisingly okay with the fact that yeah. their fugitives are having <laughs> suffer with this particular yeah. I love that it's basically they just declare that they're fugitives and then basically nothing else happens. Like, well, they, they make no yeah. other protests. When the humans start to cheer and sing, they, they become a little afraid and worried, it mentions. Mm-hmm. So there's powerful people they've accidentally locked up, maybe. <laughs> yeah, that their king may have made a mistake. Mm-hmm. But they can't say that, because... He's a king. Yeah, can't question Kings don't make mistakes. And don't forget, if the elves keep too mad about it, there's probably like a hundred humans and three of them. And I mean, sure, elves are better fighters, but at some point, numbers have to count for something. Mm-hmm. So they want to be at least somewhat polite. Well... We also get a mention here because who said that these ones were more dangerous and less wise? Greg. Because you made that comment here. But here we also get that uh, the king of Mirkwood, he did not believe in dwarves fighting and killing dragons like Smaug, and he strongly suspected attempted burglary or something like it, which shows he was a wise elf and wiser than the men of the town. So even though I think these woodland elves are less wise than the Rivendell elves as a whole, this king is wise, and in general, elves are clearly smarter than people. <laughs> well, the white men are a bit dumb. That's yeah, true. <laughs> so it's not so much that they're wise. I, I think so, uh, <laughs> the wisdom spectrum must go like Rivendell elves, Mirkwood elves, men, dwarves somewhere. <laughs> Probably later, because they don't really... These dwarves especially. Yeah. <laughs> no planet. No. <laughs> we're we're <laughs> being rebuilt on Richard. Now we got this. I think he's somewhat smarter than the dwarves. Bilbo's pretty wise. Than, not quite on the Elven scale. I think Bilbo's smarter than the men, though. He's yes. the only one still worried about the dragons at this point. And he doesn't even live there. Like. <laughs> it's also fair to say that if you're talking about they're, even if they're just going to steal the treasure and then fuck her off. That's still going to be Bilbo's job. So, even if they go for bare minimum interaction with Dragon, Bilbo gets to be that bare minimum interaction. <laughs> yeah. This is true. Yeah. Okay, and what do you get in the interactions between the dwarves? Actually, in both of these chapters, this one and Barrels in a Bond. The interaction between the dwarves and the elves, and the interaction between the dwarves and the men. What kind of relationships do we have here? Dwarves and elves seem very strained. Mm-hmm. Mm. A lot of tension? A lot of tension. Dwarves and men. Dwarves seem to um, sort of uh, hold themselves in higher esteem than men. Mm-hmm. They come in touting titles and expecting good treatment and help. Which works for them. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. Karen? <clears throat> yeah, I was just going to say this almost like they're like, yep, yeah, we can totally be in charge of all these guys and we'll do whatever we want. <laughs> I wonder if they almost don't think that about the elves, too. Like, we should be in charge of these elves, but they're just, like, not in a position to actually... Yeah, I wonder if they would have. Because does he go in saying titles with the elves? I can't remember that. 
just sort of is really mom. Like, I think it's more like out of, like, students, I guess. He's like, well, I can't tell the kids that Elsa Bowman Mission Festival record. Mm -hmm. I, I kind of wonder if he would be like, you know, dwarves are better than elves. We were totally in charge of these guys. Yeah. Well, it did work out for them that way, in terms of, like, when it came to choosing to decide between elves and dwarves, the men, the men picked a side, and. I don't know if they so much picked dwarves as they picked gold. True. <laughs> the men very strongly associate the dwarves with gold, and maybe not with everything else. All the other trouble the dwarves are going to bring them. Because you're right, they kind of do just, you know, bring these dwarves in and talk about it as if the dwarves are going to just going to spread the wealth around. Mm -hmm. The elves kind of thought that too. Well, the elves are a little more practical about though, because they're very much like they have to go through Mirkwood. That treasure is getting through Mercury without my cut. I mean, before when it mentions how much Thranduil loves gold and elves oh, don't yeah. mind and they have to rely on trade. Everybody just sees these dwarves as a big walking payday. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Which is gonna, I don't know, bite something <laughs> back in the butt later. <laughs> Tax them to hell on the way through. <laughs> We've just instituted a very large toll. <laughs> <laughs> oh, about one fourteenth of a mountain. <laughs> <laughs> See you, Nick.
Bueller. <laughs> I wonder how it would have been like if Tolkien had gone back and rewritten this. After Lord of the Rings, knowing more of his characters from he Lord did, of the Rings, didn't he? yes, but yeah, if but he just wrote, no, he reread. He was in the beginning. In the beginning. He was going to do more. I was just saying more like after he knows Legolas and such, and knows he's from Mirkwood. If he rewrote the Hobbit, if he'd have put him in there, like I'm not even him. supposed to be like, in this. <laughs> <laughs> so the question is, if he had rewritten the whole thing and his friends hadn't gone, no, leave it the way it is, would he have put in? Legolas or other characters we may have met. Tario. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. We're not oh, that's quite the point Kelsey's making. <laughs> I'm going more with the elves who were the yeah. council. And the fact that Tranduil is named. Yeah. yeah. Or that Gloin would have, or yeah, Gloin would have more of a role. Exactly. A the ones that we know more of and who maybe characterize the dwarves more even. They might have slightly more differing names. <laughs> Oh, I don't think no. They're all no. from the same poem in. Uh, yeah, they're all from. Yeah. Yeah. They, they all come from Volushpal. Yeah. Yeah. And so does Gandalf. Yeah. And I think Open Shield actually is another separate one from that, too. I was really excited when I read that and scanned. <laughs> Anything else? He's still Timbus here. Yeah, of course. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought one kind of entertaining line here. Which is pretty good advice. Is when Bilbo is talking about how he's the only person left and he was all by himself in the icy water because you cannot have friends that are all packed in barrels. It's just, I don't know, it's like, sometimes the narrator, it's like really dark. Sounds like a great t shirt. Don't count your dwarves before they're out of the barrels. <laughs> that would be if one of them drowned. Schrodinger's dwarves. That was really good. Yeah. I also like how Keely, when he comes into the, is it Keely or Keely? I think it's Keely, actually. When he comes into the barrels, he's actually like the only one who's no, like, yeah, that was like, yeah, yeah. He thought it was awesome. I never want to eat apples again, but that was a good time. I'm, I'm looking forward to when uh, Keely will be forced to eat apples, because I'm sure that's going to be like the climax of he's the He's like story. the opposite of Barbosa. <laughs> okay, we're reading two chapters for next week. On Wednesday. On Wednesday. Um, what are the next two chapters? <laughs> on, the on the doorstep and, and inside, inside information. Oh, that's one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, say you every time. This is actually one of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> the challenge is to write a poem about Smaug. Any style, any meter, any language. Any language? Give her a call. translation if you do another language. Um... Yeah, and games night this Friday. That will go in the email when I know from an event coordinator what time it starts. <laughs> Bring board games. You can leave them in the cupboard if you want and if there's space. Just be known that the cupboard doesn't lock, so you know, leave your games there at your own risk.